A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, just to let you know that this episode contains discussions of sexual violence and domestic abuse. So if this is something that you don't feel like listening to right now, that's perfectly fine. Feel free to tune in to one of our other episodes. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, the podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levers. I'm Rashan. You can call me Shan. I'm Livs. Hi everyone, my name is Leanne Levers. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast. And this month, as you might know, for Black History Month, each of our hosts are taking uh, an episode for themselves. I believe Shan has done an episode, Livs has done an episode, and now I'm doing an episode um, that is focusing on a topic of my choice. And for this episode, I want to talk about my experience or my personal experience with sexual violence. I think for me, many people or many people might not know, but my career for the past 10 years has been around working with both victim survivors as well as offenders to reform and to change and to heal respectively, but also to engage with legislation that helps to better protect women and better increase our chances of reducing sexual violence or the potential of sexual violence for women across the diaspora. I think one of the things that most people don't know about me is the reason that I entered into this career. So between the ages of 15 and 18 or 15 and 19, I was in an emotionally emotionally and sexually abusive relationship. It was my first relationship ever. And as a way of dealing with or processing this experience, or my victimization, I dove straight into an academic career, which I think allowed me to understand for myself why I had been through this experience and why this person had done this to me, but without having the courage to explain why I was doing it. So I dove into this career of working with women and working with offenders as a way of trying to reconcile what had happened to me But in many ways, I think my career became a bit of a scapegoat or a bit of of an excuse or kind of like a blanket for me to protect myself from actually having to share my truth. And I think this episode is really important to me because so many of the dope black women in the group have come to me or have expressed in the WhatsApp group and shared so authentically and so courageously that I think it would be 
inauthentic for me to not share my truth at this point in time because so many of the other women have been so courageous in doing exactly what I tell women to do every day which is to share and to be open and not to be ashamed of what has happened to them and to not hold any sort of blame or accountability for what has happened to them and so this is my chance to do the same and in doing so I wanted to share the space with someone, probably one of the only people that I've told in detail or in any detail about what has happened to me, and that's Nkechi. Nkechi is a dope black mom and a dope black woman, and meeting her through Marvin has been a life-changing experience for me. She has, <laughs> she has taught me what it is to be genuine and be authentic. Sorry, guys. <laughs> you gonna make me cry, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's true. She has been such a force in my life within such a short period of time. And if she didn't share her own story so authentically with me and just be such an authentic person in general, I don't think I would have had the courage to do this today. So I wanted to have create a safe space by bringing her in and having her share and talk about the issues as a way of not just providing me with a blanket but also just to show how um, pervasive the issue of sexual and domestic violence is within the black community you know i think the fact that there are so many women in our group and catchy included that have been victim survivors is um, important to share and it's representative of the, of the statistics that i'm sure we'll get into about how many black women experience sexual violence how many Black women experience violence in general at the hands of black men and at the hands of men in general. And so, yeah, this is why we're doing this episode today. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Inkechi. I'm popping. I am a dope black woman and a dope black mom, as Leanne just so eloquently said. Um, I am also what I would call a joyful survivor of domestic abuse um, and um, I stand here, I stand here as I am, as, a wom as the woman that I am now um, because of the work that I've done, the therapy that I've been involved in and also the choices that I've made for myself and the decisions that I've made about how much I'm going to actually allow my trauma to control <laughs> um, my future, my parenting, my friendships, my love relationships. Um, I am by, I'm not qualified in any way, shape or form, but I'm only qualified in the journey of life. And sometimes that's the biggest one. Um, so, um, I'm just very, very honored to be here. Um, my relationship with Leanne, um, I met her through Marvin and, um, we just clicked. We kind of clicked. I thought at first, at first, actually, when I first met Leanne, I just thought, wow, this person's got so many walls up. You know, I was just like, this, this is a really interesting person. But wow, she's got so many walls up. Because I, I remember when I first met you and you were like, yeah, I'm a doctor. And and everything was like super professional and all like, like defining of your profession, which is amazing. And your achievements have been amazing. But I could see 
just I could just see you like I could just see the love from you and the vulnerability in you and yeah I was just like okay this is going to be an interesting ride and I think it actually converted really quickly into like a really genuine (laughs) sisterhood um and yeah we've just we've shared a lot together and I've spoken a lot about my my situation with Leanne because she is a safe space for me um but I'm also an author and I'm writing a book um I'm writing a few books and one of them is around our trauma as black women and it's 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 a it's a fictional book but it's going to be there's lots of different people's lives in there mine included um and I just think it's a really important topic because I think it's shrouded in shame and I think um, violence, sexual violence, domestic violence, it's all shrouded in secrecy, especially within our community, even now. Even now with all the visibility and all the conversations about mental health and your self-esteem and all the things that are actually linked to what could derive off of your trauma, even now still, there's still a kind of, we just don't really talk about that. And I think that it will be, it's, it's a beautiful thing when you're in a group like Dope Black Women, um, when you see people, as you said, so authentically, just coming forward and just like, yeah, this is me. This is what I've been through. And I want to share that for whatever reason, you yeah. know, for therapy for myself, for support, for ther- to support another, you know, there's been, there's all these different scenarios, but what a beautiful thing that we're able to do that. So um, I'm just very privileged to be on this call with you and, oh, not call, <laughs> on the pod. <laughs> um, we're doing, we're doing COVID, we're doing COVID life, COVID yeah. podcasting at the moment. Um, but yeah, so here I am. Yeah, and, and Ketchi's right. I mean, we did immediately click, but in a, in a very real sense, and it's kind of shifted the podcast and doing Dope Black Women has shifted my approach, but oftentimes I lead with my profession um, as a way of deflecting or not necessarily showing the, you know, the background as to why I entered into this pro- profession and the real vulnerability that exists underneath that and how closely tied they are together. And so when Ketch and I met, she did. I think one of the first things that you asked me actually is if I was a mother. Um, and you said to me, you're going to make such a good mom. And I didn't understand it at the time, but I was, I was moved by the fact that you said that to me, not knowing me that well. And then I remember, yeah. And then I remember when we went to, we went to a, a program called Landmark, which Marvin had invited us to. And at that point in time, I think I started to open up to catch even more than I had before. And I started to hear some of her stories and what she had been through. And I was just like, wow, she's saying this so openly and so just not in a blase sort of way, because you always speak powerfully, but you just said it so without reservation, which is something that I have never been able to do. I mean, this is something just for context, this is the first time I'm ever speaking about this publicly. So my siblings, I had to tell them before I jumped on this pod because I didn't want them to be surprised, but they had never, they didn't know about it. None of my girlfriends in Jamaica know. Um, even the people that are closely connected to my abuser don't know. 
um, and relay myself, yourself and uh, maybe two other people are the only people that I've mentioned it to in passing. So, so yeah, I definitely think it was important for someone that I connected with in such a deep way to be on the call and someone who has lived, uh, you know, if not even, I don't remember what the first time was. Do you remember the first time we actually discussed it? I don't know, because I think my disability, so I'm partially deaf and I'm partially deaf because of um, the domestic abuse that I suffered. So I'm kind of like, they're kind of linked together. So if I've had to explain to somebody that, oh, sometimes I might say, what did you say? Or can you repeat that? Or something like that. Then the next question is, oh, how did that happen? Or, you know, or, oh, because even some people have said, oh, you don't look like you're deaf or you don't talk like you're deaf or things like that. <laughs> it's really, I know, wild. I, can, I know yeah. we're in 2020. And people are like, sometimes they say, well, I wear hearing aids. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because I can't hear without them. <laughs> um, but it, so it might have been very early because I'm very much like, like I said, I'm at peace with it. I've come to a place of peace with it, so, which which is which I'm I'm and I am not going to simplify it and make out like oh my god yeah I'm just at peace with it I'm just so cool oh yeah I sat there and did a couple of meditations no it was a serious piece of work and it was an intentional decision that I made to to not let it drive me crazy mm. and not let it take from me. So if you ask, if I'm saying, if I'm explaining that I'm partially deaf, then the likelihood is the next question is going to be, oh, were you born like that, for example? And I'll say, no, I, I was in a domestic violence situation and he cracked all the bones in my ears. So, and I'll talk very much like that because, because that's where I'm at with it. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a process. And a lot of people then say, and interestingly enough, I was speaking to another DV survivor the other day and we were both saying to each other, we were relaying our stories and that there was this real tone of like, yeah, and then this happened and then this happened. And we're talking about high level, real traumatic things that have happened and there's this calm. And I actually said to her, you know, don't you think it's strange how people who have suffered trauma tend to speak and relay and, and, and convey their stories in this really like controlled manner. Yeah. And then what people then say is, oh, you're so strong. And yes. then, <laughs> you know, like you deliver it like this and then they're like, you're so strong. And then I, I was saying to her, don't you think sometimes you think, well, yeah, but it took me a lot of work to get here. And, and, and that delivery that you speak of, absolutely for me, is rooted in peace but also I think we have to sit above the trauma because if you delve into the trauma every time you speak about it mm -hmm. it's so um debilitating for your spirit and actually even physically it's tiring to get into all of those you you, you just won't survive it's funny that you said that because I think for me I often deliver anything traumatically, and I think Leanna, our producer, can probably speak to this, 
But when it, whether it's I'm talking about my parents or whether I'm talking about, you know, kidney donation and now talking about this, there is this tendency that I have to deliver information in this very like monotone kind of approach. But for me, it's not necessarily rooted in a sense of peace. It's rooted in a means of deflecting and downplaying what I've been through. And I think sometimes I do that, one, because there's so many reasons you don't want to muck up the mood in the room to you know sometimes it's because you don't want to go through sometimes you know you're afraid that if you you know the process of going through it will break you and how do you come back together so so much of my talking about it in a professional way or in a very kind of academic way is really just as a means of saying if i talk about this shit if i delve into this shit and really give you guys the nitty-gritty rawness of what I've experienced, I won't be able to come back from that. And that's a real fear that I have. So even now, you know, talking about it and trying to be more open about it is difficult because I'm afraid to, you know, to fall apart. And, and how does that process of coming back from that look like, you know? And, and so I guess that's kind of why another reason that I have you on the call is or on the pod is because you have come back from that and you are able to sit above it from a, a, a place of peace. And how did you even, what, was, what did that look like? So within the midst of the chaos, I had a beautiful son. Mm. And I was like, I need to understand how I got here. I need to understand how I'm going, how, you know, I, I just need to understand. Because for me, it was about, he just can't be in this and he can't have a mum who's in this. And, you know, I wouldn't be a good mum. Um, so for me, a lot of my initial reasons for seeking therapy were for rooted in my journey in motherhood so um and then when I actually got into therapy I was like oh this is not about motherhood at all this is about you and the way you viewed yourself and the way you felt about yourself and why you felt that way about yourself and all of these things and I'm gonna be completely transparent when you say to me when you say how the fear of delving into that emotion and thinking you won't come back from it i'll tell you this i'm walking proof that you do i'm walking proof that actually it isn't sometimes exploring that and really unpacking that is where the real joy can come Mm. because you have to delve if you if you don't go and 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 i think that people think as well when they step into setting that delving into it is going to look a particular way and we've created all these stories in our head about what it's going to look like how it's going to feel i'm going to cry uncontrollably i'm going to you know i'm going to just be in it and i'm going to want to lock myself in a dark room and i'm going to have to but i think i i can only say to you leanne that you probably come much further than you think you've come mm. Yeah, you've probably actually done more work than you think you've done. But I think when you start to delve into things, especially into traumatic um, events, it becomes less about the event and more about how you found yourself 
in that relationship, in that place, what that meant, unpacking what you felt about you and forgiving yourself for even finding yourself in that position. Because for me, I didn't understand it. I've been raised by one hell of a strong black woman. Mm. Yeah, and my dad's strong as well. But my mum, I was raised as a single, a single parent household by a strong woman. My mum's a doctor as well. Do you know what I mean? So it was like, how did I? Exactly, exactly. Get here? No, it's the same thing. And because for me, I was raised by two very strong parents. As you said, my dad grew up in the 1920s and, you know, experienced like a hell of a lifetime pre-independence. I mean, he grew up in a colonial country, right? Under British rule. My mom, the same thing. She was a lawyer. I saw her get up every single day from 4 a.m. to... 7 p come home at 7 p.m cook dinner do homework all of those things with three kids and i think it's it's when it happened to me i mean i know i was young i was 15 as i said and by the time i got to 18 and i kept you know three years into this relationship where i was constantly being at least emotionally abused for a long period of time i, I kept saying to myself but this i'm me like how did I let this happen to me? And why do I keep going back? Like the same questions that people ask you all the time. And now you're looking at it like, why the fuck are you asking me that? I was asking myself. I was like, how am I still here? Like I'm sitting in this room with this person and I'm allowing him to do this to me, you know? And, and so, yeah, I, it's, I, I resonate with that so many in so many ways. And I think so many women resonate with that in so many ways. There's this whole, I don't know if you felt this as well, Ketch, but there's this whole thing about cultural betrayal that black women often feel when they're abused by a black man. I think it's called cultural betrayal, where you don't want to, to out anybody because of the fact that you know that the system is not in, in a black man's favor, you know? And... And for me, when I was ready to come forth, especially in the context of Kingston and Jamaica, when it, after it happened to me and I had a chance to kind of reflect on do I want to call people or do I want to let people know, I immediately thought about the fact that he would be villainized as well. And how would that make for his future, knowing that he had also had an, a past where his mom, he grew up in an abusive household where his mom was abused uh, on a daily basis by his dad his mom kicked you know his dad kicked his mom out of the house into the street she was a drug addict like there are so many things that I knew impacted his own behavior towards me that I felt that telling my truth would have been a disservice to him and it still does feel that way to be honest like if I think about where I am now my biggest concern in sharing this this part of my life is how it will impact him if it will impact him you know, because I do come from a small place where people know each other. And if I say this was my first relationship, they know who that is, you know. This is the Dope Black Women podcast. Um, yeah, I think for me, it's it's nice to see that you're in a place of peace because that's ultimately where I want to be. I think for me... Sorry, I just want to interject just quickly about the peace thing. Because I think when people tend to talk about peace, 
they tend to think that I'm just floating through it all. And I'm like, oh, this is all, I'm, I'm just fine with it. It's not that. It's when the challenge comes or when an emotional feeling towards it comes, I have learned and I know how to manage that. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to be really clear about that to anybody that's listening that I'm not saying that I'm like, oh my God, yeah, these atrocities <laughs> happened to me and I'm just cool with it. No. But what I have learned to do is operate from a place of peace. When I say peace, I mean when that when that flashback comes in my face or you know, a trigger comes that I manage it in a particular way because for me, the negative reaction or emotional reaction of of distress, discomfort, pain, anger, resentment, you know, all of these things, that doesn't help me cultivate myself. So yeah. I choose to combat those feelings in a peaceful manner. So I just want to be just kind of clear about that. No, 100%. No, 100%. But I mean, just to comment on that, it's interesting. So I think the space that I'm in is where I avoid the challenge altogether. Like I have, for the most part, completely blocked it out. And part of blocking it out is not talking about it. Um, And I think for me, the reason that I feel like I'm ready to talk about it now is because I've been through a whole lot more. You know, I've been through a space where my parents have passed. I've been through a space where I've been in other relationships where I've seen how my inability to be vulnerable has impacted the success or the failure of those relationships. And not just the success in terms of if I'd been more vulnerable, um, it would have been better. But had I not been so vulnerable, it would have been better because I don't know the balance between finding boundaries and being vulnerable to the right person. And actually, am I falling into the same trap of being vulnerable in a space that feels safe, but what actually feels safe to me is is destructive. Um, and so I think that's kind of where I am now. And I guess more to the point of wanting to speak out now is that I've, you know, I've, everybody knows that I've moved back to Jamaica for a period of time. And I feel like being home has allowed me to rediscover myself in a certain way. You know, I always say that when I come home, my shoulders drop, I feel myself, like I feel like my whole self. And I feel empowered to do exactly what you've just said, Ketch, which is just to face, I feel like I'm better prepared to face the potential fallout, the potential emotions, um, just by being in a different space, you know, and kind of returning to the space where this all took place, you know, where where my actual experience happened. And, and I think that I do now believe that there is real joy on the other side of that. And it's, and I think people think again about joy in this like really euphoric beautiful way the joy is that you actually went through the challenge and you and you and you functioned through the challenge in a particular way and that's exactly. where the joy comes because there's always going to be challenges 
you yeah. know there's always going to be things that are going to come up and represent and all these things but the joy is like when that comes and then you're like oh i actually handled that really well for me because everybody's everybody's management looks different yeah, yeah. you know so and and you were speaking about the victimization of the black man and about how how that factored into your journey. For me, it was about the fact that I just loved him. Yeah. And even though he was doing these things to me, I loved him and I wanted the best for him at all times. Yeah. And even now, and also the other thing I think that we do is we understand. So you see how you were speaking about his past, his yeah. demons, his issues so we understand we can feel because as, as black women we feel we empathize we're we're in there we're in the trenches with you we're riding yeah. with you they don't call us ride or dies for nothing True. yeah so so there's all of that when 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 we when we consider leaving telling the police you know, telling our brothers, our uncles, whoever, there's all of that. There's a consideration for the whole person and not this one part of the person that actually has a serious fault and a serious glitch. Yeah, but, there's a, but, but we as black women have this ability to be able to see the whole person and also in abusive situations it tends to be that's just that's not just the fabric of the person so it's not always that yeah there's cycles you know there's a whole wheel when i was in therapy there was a whole wheel linked towards domestic abuse right yeah. so like something traumatic happens and then there's the fallout and then there's the makeup and that makeup bit Every single time I had that makeup bit, I just truly believed nothing bad was ever going to happen again. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like you can see the deterioration. You can, you kind of know it's coming. You know there's chaos coming. Then the chaos happens. You learn to elevate yourself, like almost remove yourself. Like I don't know about anybody else, but for me, I tended to feel like I was watching it happen to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or I just wasn't me. Yeah. Even now, when I think about it now, and when I think about actually, because my relationship started out as emotional abuse, you know, he would get angry about things or try to manipulate my movements or where I was going, what I was doing, who I was seeing. And then it slowly built into this situation where I remember there was a specific instance where I had a journal and I had been writing everything in it. And I don't know if he thought that I was writing about him, but he wanted to see it. And I said, no, you know, this is really personal. And he ended up breaking a car, car door window because he punched it out of anger. And I remember in that moment thinking, I'm not actually in the car. Like I'm actually watching this happen. And so every instance that I can think of, whether it's that or whether it's actual, the actual sexual victimization, I, I experience it as happening to somebody else as if it was, didn't actually happen to me. That's the way I talk about it even now up until this point. And I think, um, for me, 
it is one of those things that you do genuinely try to experience it outside of yourself because you try to i think it's a way of like trying to explain it to yourself or trying to justify it to yourself i don't know if that's the case for you if that's how you felt i think it was just like survival i, I didn't overthink it i didn't even plan to do it yeah it was just like okay something really bad's happening right okay um i'm just like literally i would just look like my body's here this is happening i'm screaming i'm shouting i'm we're arguing whatever the case may be but i'm like my spirit for one of a better word is like sitting above and just gone into survival mode so i need to like make some distance between this and and again maybe that's why you know, you don't hear about many crimes of passion. You don't hear about women turning around and just stabbing up a man, True. even when if even if he's beating her ass. Do you know what I mean? Or whatever, or screaming at her, or calling her a whore or a bitch or whatever it may be. You know, you don't hear about that, and I think that that is that is that is the power of your 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 you're not just you're not just skin and bone. Yeah, no matter what you believe, it's not about, it's not a religious, there's no religious context here. But you, you have a spirit and your spirit teaches itself to survive. How am Do I going to survive this? I think it's interesting because you're, at, how long ago were you in that relationship? 15 years ago? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably around the same, a little bit more. And I think I've, what I've noticed is that more women are starting to come, I feel like it feels like more women are starting to come forward. And it almost feels like more men are starting to be more, even more combative instead of saying, oh, actually more women are coming forward. Maybe we should start to believe our black women that are coming forward and saying this. But instead, it seems like the vileness of the responses is even more is even more exacerbated than before and i i wonder i just to provide an example our minister of uh justice in jamaica a few months ago you know we we're talking about was talking about sexual harassment in the uh, sexual harassment bill and he basically said you know if women don't come forward in 12 months they need to get out of here you know, because if you don't, if you don't address this within 12 months, we, he said, we don't want what happened with the Me Too movement to happen here, where there are women who are coming forward 20 years later within that space. And I just want to, I, yeah, it, for me, it's so mind boggling because it's like, hey, why don't we just believe women? Like, why would a woman lie about the vile things that we're talking about? And why would, why is it that men are having this even more horrendous response to to the fact that more women are coming out i mean the first thing i'm gonna say is um love to all my dope black men because we have so many amazing men within our community so it's not that i think it feels because the ones that are objecting their voices are loud yeah, but there's a lot of our black men that are not in any way, shape or form in agreement, aligning with, in, 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 in appro approve of any of that behavior. So I think we need to give kudos to 
and, and, and we need to acknowledge that we have a lot of dope black men that are like, this is some BS. Do you want me to go see this guy? You know, there's a lot of them that are like, yeah. in, in my life, I have a lot of dope black men who are just like, absolutely not. It is not even consideration for me to put my hands on a woman, force myself on a woman, blah, de, blah, de, blah. But when the negative voices speak, they are very loud. Yes, that is true. Yeah. So I think because now we are exposed to social media and, and, and all of this access, when the loud voices come, it's like a child throwing a tantrum in a room full of good kids. Yeah. You've got all these good children, but this one child is throwing the maddest tantrum and everyone's looking at this child like, wow. Control your pick me now or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? So I wanna I am not downplaying the fact that their voices are very loud and I'm gonna address that, but I wanted to first just say to any of the men that are listening, we know you're there and we yeah. hear you and we, we appreciate your 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 aligning with us. The other part of it is that I think there's so many different like we as black women function in all these different constructs of blackness. Mm -hmm. So, so, and black men expect us, like I said before, to be in the trenches with them. And yeah. so even, even no matter what, th there's an expectation that we're just supposed to ride with you. So why are you speak? It's almost like, forget that this person is, is an abuser. Yeah. You're just speaking out against us. Yeah. And you're not supposed to do that because you're supposed to be in the trenches or I do not, you know, there's this kind of, and I, I feel like that voice is really, really loud. And this kind of like, well, she must've done something. You must've done something. You must've done something for him to bust your teeth out your mouth or, or sexually assault you or, you know, do whatever. You, what did you? But what did you do? This is an interesting. I just find it wild. Like you're like, yeah. You just don't believe that somebody could just have a little. Because uh, I do believe that abusers have got something wrong with them. Like you cannot. You, something's going on in your in, psychologically for mm. you to be an abuser, right? So something's not right, and you're just a nasty narcissist. A, you know, a, a power freak, whatever it may be, it's all about control. And I think, just to say that I think sometimes a lot of our abusers, they are try to be controlling of everything because they didn't have control somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. But that does not excuse that because my thing is your responsibility as an adult is to take care of your trauma. Yeah. Before you do anything else, your responsibility as an adult is to take care of your trauma, men and women, because you cannot function effectively through life without dealing with your trauma. Mm -hmm. Because anything you come into, as we know, we carry, we carry everything with us. And, and women as well, because, because if I had dealt with some of my traumas, I probably wouldn't have 
ended up in the relationship that I ended up in. Yeah. Because I would have healed that, that part of me and then there wouldn't have been a neediness or a vulnerability or a desire for something that is written in fairy tales or, you know, all of these things. So, yeah. sorry. No, that is exactly true. And so I think that it's it's really empowering for me to see a space like Dope Black Women when women are coming forward, particularly when you think about the number of women who are, you know, the status that like one in two women or one in four women, sorry, have experienced some sort of sexual violence in their lifestyle, in their lifetime, but also that black women are disproportionately at a greater risk of sexual violence. They're at a greater risk of dying at the hands of their perpetrator. They're at the greater risk of psychological abuse in terms of insults, in, certain, in terms of getting called out, in terms of that kind of coercive control that you talk about. And I think it's really important for us to show like that there are overlapping kind of characteristics of abuse so even if someone i you know for a long time i minimized what i went through because my sexual victimization happened for a very short period of time but when i started to look at the overall relationship i saw the build-up of the emotional abuse taking place i saw the coercive control i saw the name calling i saw the nobody will believe you if you tell them what's happened and i think Sometimes we have a tendency, as you said, to minimize what we've been through. And that's why women don't come and report. I mean, for every black woman that has been raped, at least 15 women, black women don't report their victimization, whether it's because they want to protect somebody or whether it's because they've been told that nobody will believe them. And I think that's really why this conversation is so important, particularly for black men to hear, because it is so important when we are faced with the justice system not believing us and not being able to gain any sort of validation through the um, through the justice system that at least we have our community to support us, you know? Just to touch on what you were saying about sexual victimization, and I think there's this blurry line about it being within a relationship as well. Mm-hmm. When sexual victimization or any form of abuse occurs within a relationship, there is this very like gray area that I think women struggle with and are like, hold on, was that, did that just happen? Was I just forced to do that? Or because I'm his woman and he's my man and this is something that happens between us. So did that really just, was that really, there's a, I think that a lot of women carry question marks over their actual, their actual experiences of sexual, especially sexual victimization, because it's easier to def- define between somebody boxing you, hitting you, even calling you a name, a slur. Do you know what I mean? And 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 this fine kind of line to navigate between um, assault and what we do, and yeah. you know, and the fact that I've consented to you thousands of times, but this time, I mean, I'm, I mean, 
I'm not speaking for myself, but when I speak to other women, I hear that. Like, I, I didn't even realize it was that. No, no 100%. I mean, my, my uh, victimization was actually the first time I ever had sex. And so the justification for that victimization or that assault was that I had made him wait too long because we had been dating since I was 15. We're now 18 going on 19 and I've had him waiting for three years. What do you expect me to do? Like a man is a man and he's frustrated. So that literally resonates with me so much in terms of, so for me being 18, I was like, well, yeah, like I, I did make him wait a really long time. Um, you know, and in, and, and then it became a situation of, well, did you actually wait? Were you really a virgin? And so it was constant. Then it became an issue of controlling where I was going and what I was doing. Like it was either, well, did you wait this long? Have you been sleeping with other people before me? How could you have waited this long? Or now that you are having sex, you're going to go and have sex with everybody else because you may. So it, it just became, there was no right or wrong behavior. And you do feel quite helpless. You feel like, God, no matter what the fuck I do, I'm wrong. And where do I, you know, how do I fix this? And so you're constantly just trying to fix a situation that is unfixable. And you get into this really, you know, dismal spiral of trying to save something that is not your fault. It doesn't make you happy and doesn't do all the things that we were sold on a can that relationships are supposed to do. Yeah. It's those like heteronormative ideas. You know, we, we, in this household, we purposefully kind of try to not feed our daughter with a lot of princess stories. Mm. And that's me. That's my decision. Because, I mean, thank goodness, Disney's kind of moved forward now. <laughs> we've got like Moanas and Mulans and we've got these kind of magical kind of creatures, people, sorry, characters. Um, but that princess story is sold to us from so young. And the princesses never said no. Yeah. They never, they, they were never like, oh no, I don't want you. Like, you came to save me, thanks a lot, but I'll see you later. You're you right. Know. Yeah. You know, we, we never had that. And Our generation just... never experienced that. Yeah, and I just wanted to say that I think also there is that shift taking place where, as you said, we see the Moanas now, we see um uh, what's the one with the red hair Brave, Brave, right. Right. Yeah, exactly. i can't remember what her name is but she was just not having it she was just like, no, exactly no 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 you know yeah even the reimagination of stories like aladdin and stories about lion king where the women are starting to be more independent and starting to be more resilient and i think one of the greatest things that we can do and partially is one of the reasons that i'm trying to tell this story today is because, you know, seeing empowered women creates empowered women, I think. And, uh, you know, hopefully the idea is that with this story, with us sharing and just talking so openly in conjunction with all of the other shifts that we see will slowly engender some sort of change for more women to speak up and more women to want to help other women, not just by sharing, but by doing other things um, within the community and, and participating in spaces like Dope Black Women as well. Absolutely. And having explicit conversations with the younger generation about what a beautiful relationship really looks like, mm -hmm. what, it, what it really is. You know, I want my daughter to understand that 
it's a beautiful thing to love somebody, but what loving somebody means is not to not love you. Yeah. The only way that you can love somebody is actually with abandon and with true unconditionally love somebody is when you have done, when you love you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that you have to be like super iron fist as well. I think that's what happened as well for us. I think feminism came about like really, really, really big and harsh. So it was like, I'm an independent woman. I don't need anybody. I don't need a man. I don't need da 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 And there was like this drilling down of conventionalism and being just in a family and wanting that and desiring that. So we went like to the other end. Yeah. And within that, again, our silence came a bit because everybody was promoting being super duper strong. And that's why you didn't open your mouth. And that's why I didn't open my mouth and say anything because actually all these images then started to flood us about being strong and being independent and knowing what you want and not taking no shit from anybody and all of this kind of stuff. And then you're in this situation. I'm in this situation. Thousands of us are in situations where we're like, well, I'm, I'm not doing that because this is happening to me behind closed doors. But when I'm out there, I have to, I can't be seen as, you know, weak. Yeah. And this is the thing, like, I mean, that's the mad psychology of it. Cause of course you're not weak, of course, yeah. <laughs> you know, actually you are strong for even being able to survive, cope, function still have a career still have a family still have all these things and be suffering trauma so whoever's listening if you're in that situation right now you are not weak yeah you are not weak i'm getting emotional now you are not weak for being in the in a situation that you didn't choose to be in, for having been coerced into a situation, for not seeing the red flags, you're not weak. Yeah. Yeah. You must know that you're not helpless either. So think strategically about how you can survive, how you can get yourself out of the situation. Don't put yourself in danger either. Be smart but know that you're not weak and you're not helpless. Because for a long time, I just thought, look at you. I just look at myself and be like, look at you. What are you doing? You know, what are you doing? But in terms of me coming out of that situation. Yeah, how did you leave? Because for me, I'm not good. I'm not gonna lie, I was lucky. Like I left to go to university and I had the physical distance. And so by the time I got back, I was in a position to protect myself by not um, by not entering his space. And, and fortunately, this is only by the grace of God within the space of Kingston. I've never seen him since. That's incredible, isn't it? Literally never. I left in stages. So I left about five times. <laughs> which is which is for the record sorry catch which is for the record statistically it takes women five to seven times before they will leave permanently that is I very about normal five times i had my friends my family involved in helping me leave um and 
truly, I just literally woke up one day and was just like, this can't happen again. Yeah. I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So it wasn't like, it wasn't a definitive m moment for me because even after I had left the house, there was still residual Moment. stuff yeah. there was still residual moments you know there was still in, like that there was still a need for this person and this is the thing i think that when people think about um fleeing or leaving they don't understand that it's not linear it's not just like this person's done all these things to me and therefore if it was that black and white we would leave after the first time yeah you know so because because you actually had a whole life with this person you know that the 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 whole of them is not wicked is not evil is not is not you know what i mean so there's yeah. it, it happened for me it happened in stages as i said um i was just like i have to like this can't go on i can't be this person and 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 it, it you know what as well there were my major breakthrough moments of leaving were actually all kind of verbal things mm. so i felt supremely free when i was able to say to my abuser if you swear at me one more time i'm gonna put sign down mm. sounds wild sounds crazy or if you come to my house, I'm going to call the police. Or, yeah, it was just like, it was all these small, I left, I physically left, but the emotional leaving and the, the, the not getting back into the cycle of like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, this is traumatic. Oh, this is amazing. Oh, this is... Do you know what I mean? It was that, it was those things that when I saw like the relationship at that time when it wasn't even romantic, just turning mm. and then an event occurred that created distance as well. Okay. Um, and so I was, but even within that, there was still like emotional control. And then I was very like, no, just no, but I went through, I was in therapy as well. So my leaving, I literally left five times. It's so interesting because I think I, I, and I wonder if that doing that and being part of that, you know, process where you left gradually is something that, because I never had that. As I said, I was in the thick of it. I left for university, still in a relationship and broke up with him, uh, you know, while being apart, whilst I was uh, still at university. And so I never had those moments of of embracing my power to saying no or saying, actually, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, yeah, so actually, and I think maybe for me is that maybe that's why it filtered into my relationships moving forward is because I never actually had the moment where I was like, actually, this is no more, you know? And because I just kind of 
shelved it and put it to one side and said, well, I'm going to deal with this by embracing this career and this is how I'm going to fix me is by trying to fix men who do this to other people. You know, I was like, I know why he did this to me. I saw it. You know, as you said, you see this whole person and you see in one minute he's screaming and shouting at you but in the next minute he's being screaming and he's being screamed and shouted at by his dad or his mom or his siblings and so yeah i instead of trying to fix me i was like i'm gonna fix me by trying to make sure this never happens again to anybody else and i'm going to fix the men which is why i work with more offenders than i do victims i'm gonna fix the men that are doing this to other people. Can I just ask, in that fixing, were you not triggered? There were moments. Yeah, because I, I, I just find that quite, so, I mean, we're, we're just incredible. You know, we really are. To have the ability to, there are, to have the ability to fix offenders and then you be able to kind of remove yourself from that you know and and, and I, just, I just i just wonder like how i think i wonder if you were healing yourself this is what i'm saying about your journey and mm -hmm. about you thinking that you're in one place but actually in doing what you did it was a part of you healing yourself I think and, there you're is, saying you shelved it, but you didn't shelve it because it was an intentional decision to enter into a profession that was going to make things better for other people. But I think in that, I'm just suggesting yeah. in that I'm having a bit of a light bulb moment and I'm like in that maybe you were actually doing a piece of work of, for yourself. It, it, it's, there's no way you couldn't have been doing a piece of work for yourself because you're you're one person you know there's not four leans you yeah. know there's there's one lean one maybe like say let's say university intellectual doctor lean is like i don't know 70 percent at that time right mm -hmm. of you you doing this work but there's still all these the other factions of you that that, that your work must seep down into yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah I, no, 100%. And I think that maybe you've actually, I just suggest to you that maybe you've got to this point on this pod, talking about it outwardly, openly, and sharing that with the world because you did that work. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a different picture for every person, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I, I want the women who are listening to this and the men to just... Healing is not linear. It's not like necessarily, not everybody goes and sits on a couch and talks to a therapist yeah. and, and, and works through it all. And da, 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 da. major parts of my healing did not occur on a couch with a therapist. Mm. I've never actually discussed this with my therapist, to be honest. That's the crazy part about it. And we discuss many things, but I don't know that my therapist knows about this which is crazy. No, and I'm just thinking about that. No, it's not even something that I've consciously or unconsciously done, you know? And I don't know if it's because I, there's this whole thing about compound depression and compound trauma that people go through when, when they have one, another situation that happens that's a big, 
life trauma like my parents passing within uh, 11 months of each other that I just compounded that on top and so me being abused or assaulted went straight to the bottom and it became not a priority for me to deal with anymore but actually you're right maybe in going through this process of working with other people whether successfully or unsuccessfully because not ever not every abuser that I've worked with has been reformed or has changed their behavior is part of my is part of my process and maybe that you're maybe you're right maybe that's what it looks like because there were times that I was triggered for sure and I found coping mechanisms of finding safe spaces and finding um like physical safe spaces you know like so my living alone that's no no that I'm actually thinking about it that's why living alone is so important to me because I need that safe space in my life at all times and knowing that investing but then in some ways it's also prevented me from investing in safe spaces that I find in other people or when I find those safe spaces in other people it scares me because I'm like ooh this feels too safe and so part of my work also if I'm being honest in terms of working with offenders was because I was so comfortable in the dysfunction of that space you know hearing those stories and 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 empathizing with my offender became empathizing with the offenders that I met and trying to fix them was part of my empathy you know so I think it was both you know there is a part of me that as you said maybe there was like trickling down of healing but the intention was not necessary I didn't start out with that intention of saying yeah oh definitely not but I think we can't um overlook that you are a whole person mm. and so every you know everything is linked there's no like yes of course we all can compartmentalize absolutely but it's still the same shelf you've got ten, you could have 10 boxes on the shelf but it's still the same it's still the one shelf mm. holding the 10 boxes you know and they're still touching each other because they're tightly packed they're still rubbing shoulders you know what i'm saying so it's just it's just something that came to me as we as as you were talking. No, um, you're, you're so right. And I think it's an ongoing process as well. Getting out is an ongoing process. Getting out is may is a physical move, and then it's a mental move, and it's like a constant move. Yeah. Because then you know, for example, I met my husband. You know, and I had to talk to myself about loads of different things. This is just a good man. Just real simple. He's just a good man. But I was like, for years, no, not having a joint bank account with you, for example. This sounds so stupid. But literally, like, because I just needed to have control. Like, and, and like it's, it's okay. And he'd be like, I'll be there with a, a little ten pound in my bank account. I'm fine. When asking, and he be like, "Yep, I don't know how to ask for things." It's so, it's so yeah. true. He'd be like, um, "So why haven't you got your nails done?" I'd be like, "Oh yeah, because I've only got ten pound. I get money next week." And he'd be like, "Huh?" You know, and it's and it and it. So it, it kind of seeped in 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 other ways. Yeah, and yeah. so I, it's a constant journey. And it, it is, it is, you know, your trauma just doesn't disappear. It's woven into the fabric of you. It's how you're going to use that, yeah, as you move forward. 
what yeah. you know how am i going to let this kind of permeate my spirit what's it going to do is it going to is it going to destabilize me is it going to anchor me is it going to help me manifest into the greatest version of myself what am i going to do and and i and i think we as victims and that's why i say i'm a joyful survivor that's why i say that because it's like the trauma happened to me it was real it was real it manif it's manifested in a disability it's a real thing yeah but what am i going to do how am i going to make it how am i going to make it make me fabulous because i'm fabulous you're fabulous leanne we're all fabulous but there's a there's a whole community of amazing fabulous women yeah no matter what circumstance you're in right now you are the light there is no one there is nothing like us and even yeah. if the place is so dark right now if you really tune into your spirit there's a light there hold on to that light and be like okay i've got this little bit of light and i'm gonna work with that little bit of light and it may take a bit of a while because my family wanted me out they were like get out my family were just like what are you doing get out we will come and they came and extracted me from the situation and i went and put myself back in the situation yeah so as allies as family members as friends you know i've had friends that have spoken to me years later i'm so sorry i didn't help you in that situation but i just didn't know what to do me couldn't have but exactly yeah. forgive yourself for, for, for just allow yourself to forgive yourself sorry yeah i think and that speaks to a really good point that you just made catch i think one of the things that you can do as someone who is i mean had i let people know what was happening I think the thing that I would have just wanted is for them to hold me and not to try to convince me to do something because especially people like us or, you know, women that are strong and black women are generally so strong. We are quite headstrong as well. And I think sometimes telling the person what to do is exactly the way to get them to do the opposite sometimes. And I think if you're in that situation and you and you know we've been in that situation so many times where we have friends who are who know i mean one in four black women that means every third friend of yours is probably or has gone through this thing right and if they come to you and they share with you just hold them don't tell them what to do don't try to fix them just let them be your sounding their so just be their sounding board be someone that they know that if shit hits the fan they can come to you and they can trust you because once that trust is broken, they have nobody else to go to. I also so I appreciate it from the other side of the fence as a friend, as a family member, how absolutely painful and devastating and scary it is to know that your somebody that you love is being treated in this fashion. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes people do not react how you need them to react because it's so painful mm -hmm. you know and i i kind of understood that quite early and i you know i have one of my best friends and you know we have conversations and she's just i just didn't know what to do so i just didn't do anything 
and I just stopped calling and I stopped because I just didn't do anything. And she will be like, I need you to forgive me for that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, that's what you had to do at that time. And I understand for you that it was very difficult because I was quite explicit. I was just like, I know this is happening and I know this is shit, but I just, I'm just, I just haven't got the strength to leave. I just can't. I just, yeah. oh, I, I just can't do it. And I, and, and I think as the victim, we have to understand that if people then start to step away a little bit, they, it's because they can't manage. And yeah. if people, you know what I mean? But I, I, but I totally agree because I also had people that were very close to me. My sister, another one of my friends who were there through the trenches for it all, biting their lips, holding their hands. The police would come. I'd be like, no, nothing happened. They're like, what the hell? But yeah. they still were there with me. Like you said, when the, when the shit hit the fan, they were the ones packing the car and you know, yeah. running for the keys and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, yeah, just just meet the person where they're at. Meet the person yeah. where they're at. Hear them, and 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 be real as well. And say this is this is really painful for me to hear, and I really feel helpless. And then you, as the victim, can say, "But you just being here right now, just it's listening good. to me, is enough." Yeah. Yeah. Because what you don't want to happen is for people to, I mean, part of abuse is being isolated. And so you don't want to further isolate that person either. And it is hard. It is hard to be a bystander to those things. And I think, and I think it's so, I think that's another reason why it's just so important for us to speak on these topics, because people don't know what they can do. People don't know how they can help. And I think being the change that we want to see is just about speaking authentically and continuing to be brave enough and continuing to to speak out when the minister of justice says actually women should only have 12 months to 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 disclose their victimization or saying or answering those questions saying why did you leave i'm going to tell you why i didn't leave this is why i didn't leave and we've talked about on the podcast why both of us didn't leave at the time and you know i it, there is that just speaking your truth and the power of that. And I've learned so much that, yes, while my professional work has made a difference on some level, the power that is is coming out of that, or the power, there's so much more power that can come out of that by no, letting people know that I was there too, or this is something that I've experienced and this is where I'm at with it and showing where you are at with it and people finding different bits of, are different gems within our stories that they connect to and that they feel empowered by. Um, and just embracing that. I mean, and I think we try to do that at Dope Black Women as on Dope Black Women as well. There are so many women that come out with their stories and share with us so authentically, whether to me personally or to another woman in the group or just in the WhatsApp group that we have. And it is always so impactful. It's always one of those moments because I think there's a danger in, in people feeling that they don't want, no one wants to hear what they have to say. And it's just like, oh, it's just another black woman coming out with this story. And, oh, you know, why would we need to believe her? Or, you know, there are so many barriers. And I think the change that I would like to see is just for women to have the space across the board, not just in dope black women, but just have the space to speak. Um, I think the conversation I would love love to see 
some really honest, and I think we do that on the sharing call, um, but just some really honest exchanges between the black men and black women about the vulnerabilities, about what happens if you do lose control, how to manage that, you know, um, and, and, and also just for men to hear our stories. And also, um, I know this is Dope Black Women podcast, but we must acknowledge also that there are men who also have um, are in domestic abusive relationships as well, is it, you know, and, 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 are, and are subjected to those things, to, to horrific um, things as well. So I just wanted to acknowledge those survivors as well, because that's another thing that's shrouded in shame. Um, but but it would be, I think, the most beautiful thing that we can try and cultivate between us as a community is to be able to have those open, honest conversations without judgment and without the blame game and without feeling attacked um, for, 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 for whatever perspective you have, you know, because I think that will then cultivate healing within the community and that will ricochet out. 100%. Gosh, Ketch, thank you so much. I don't think I could have done this without you. You've done a great job, babe. A, a great job. And, and I just wanted to close on just to um, anybody that's listening that's, that's a victim. I need you to understand that it was a process for you to find yourself in this position and it will be a process to get yourself out. Mm. It's just like anything else you don't get a degree overnight and then you don't get a job overnight you yeah. don't make a baby and have sex and conceive and then give birth to the baby the next day and then you don't when you give birth you don't get your body back the next week it's a process it yeah. takes time and allow yourself forgive yourself if you're still in in, in a state of disbelief forgive yourself allow yourself that time because, but just be in, have intent, have a goal. Yeah. Don't set a time on it unless, of course, you're in immediate danger. You need to get out. But just set a time. When I'm, I'm more talking about out of, when you're, once you're out of the actual immediate danger, allow yeah. yourself that time to process. Yeah. I think one of the things that, uh, my therapist has taught me, even though we haven't been talking about it within the context of domestic violence or sexual abuse, is be kind to yourself always. Forgive yourself, love yourself, love on yourself every single chance you get. Leanne, I'm sure you've heard me say this a gazillion times. Like every time I do something great or every time something shitty happens, which I feel responsible for, I literally engage in some sort of self-care. And that's something that Jillian, one of our other dope black women has taught me as well, is literally just take take time. Like it's the situation is fucked up. And if you think it's fucked up, it's probably 10 times more fucked up than you actually think it is because you're still in it. And the process of being kind to yourself is the most amazing thing that you can do to start the healing process is just giving yourself time whether you're in a, an abusive relationship or whether you've just been in a shitty relationship or whether something bad has happened at work like it actually doesn't matter I think it's so important with the world that we live in as black women to just love ourselves as much as we can amen Sorry. <laughs> 
thanks Ketch. I appreciate you. I love you so much. And I love I, you. I'm so proud of you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank that, you. That was that was that was that was deep. We went there, baby. <laughs> <laughs> So thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, Please don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them from. On Twitter and Facebook, we are Dope Black Woman. And on Instagram, we're Dope Black Woman 1. We'll be back with you next week with our regular scheduled programming. All of the women will be back. And until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions Supply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.